Good morning, everybody. We're jumping back in the Word one more time on this Is God Among Us series we've been working through. Uh, grab a Bible. If you don't have yours handy, snatch it up um, or open it up. I don't know if you got it looking on a computer or your book or whatever. But either way, grab a Bible and let's jump in. We're going to be in Matthew 27. Um, as I've mentioned and I always will mention, this is just us unpacking the Word. This is not... Um, church right now. This is me opening the word up and pouring it out tonight. We'll gather together and we'll talk over this and think on it and pray through it as well as praying for other things that are going on in the community or struggles that uh, you may have if you want to come. And um, pretty intentional about focusing our attention when we pray. It's not just kind of random. We're, we're serious about prayer. So if there's things you want prayer for, let us know. Again, we would love for you to come. You can hit us up online. We can tell you how to find us. By You can find us on social media, obviously. You can find us uh, at the website. There's different ways you can locate us. But either way, hit us up. We'll tell you how to find where we're at and come hang out. We're in the East Valley. We're in Tempe, Arizona. So love for you to join us. But we have been working through this series of Is God Among Us? And we're going to kind of pull it through to an end today. Uh, Revelation 21.3 has been our theme the whole time. Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. So today, we're going to conclude, as is appropriate, with this whole theme of, Is God among us today as the Son of God? Is God among us, Son of God? Um, I'd say it's pretty clear, but basically where I'm coming to with this is it's all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. The entire Bible, the entire Bible, every moment of it is about Jesus. Well, you say, well, how can you say that? He doesn't appear until uh, the New Testament, till Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Not true. That's when the name Jesus occurs. But Jesus is all throughout text. the text. To see God is to see Jesus. For God to be among us was to see Jesus throughout all of human history, all of mankind, certainly the Old Testament, to see God, to wrestle with God as we talked about, to share a meal with God, the different things that we looked at already over the past several weeks. It's always been Jesus, the person of the Trinity known as the Son. Okay, Born of a virgin, yes, in the New Testament, born of a virgin, uh, given the name Jesus, but known throughout history as the presence of Jehovah, the presence of Yahweh, the presence of God among his people, that is the Son. Uh, and even in his death, which is what we'll look at today, even in his death, his deity is evident, evident. And I wonder how might it change your life, how might it change my life to truly put Jesus on display in our lives to such a degree that even in our death he is on display um, and that maybe people might put their faith in him even at our death even in our passing it might cause people to put their faith in him that's what I'm praying for go to Matthew 27 and we're going to look at this passage real quick verse 50 uh, where we'll start it says and Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit 
And behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, and the earth shook and the rocks were split. The tombs also were opened, and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. And coming out of the tombs after his resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many. When the centurion and those who were with him, keeping watch over Jesus, saw the earthquake and what took place, they were filled with awe, and they said, Truly, this was the Son of God. Let me pray. Lord, truly, you are the Son of God. You are God. You are our Lord. Lord, we love you. Jesus, thank you for the great, amazing sacrifice that you went to on the cross for our sins. Thank you for resurrection uh, three days later that we know, Lord, that we are not to be defeated by death because of our faith in you. Pray today as we open your word, Lord, that we're looking at your word and not mine. As always, I'm a student. You're the teacher. And we ask for your wisdom and your guidance in Christ's name. Amen. So um, I remember going to a conference many years ago when I was first kind of coming out of the world, the way I like to put it, where God was changing my life and calling me unto himself into ministry, all these things. Um, one of the first things at this conference, I don't really remember a lot about it, but one of the first things I remember standing out to me at the conference was a book. And it's this book right here, Jesus Freaks. Um, by Voice of the Martyrs, it caught my attention because it had just been released and the pages were all kind of, you know, scruffy looking. I thought, oh, that's cool. I'm going to go find it. And if you're familiar with it, then cool. If not, then uh, you should check it out. But all it is, is is stories of martyr after martyr after martyr. And as I began to read this coming out of the drug world, as I began to read this and see these people that even in their death, they were causing people to believe. In some cases, those who were killing these people, people that were standing on their faith, even as they were facing torture and death, it would cause the torturers, it would cause the murderers to believe in Christ by the way in which they died. Changed me completely. Changed my whole life to read that these people knew something to be true uh, to such a degree that they would not compromise even for a second, even at death. And that became a witness that converted other people, in some cases who were then immediately killed for their beliefs. So today, Jesus' death on the cross, for those who witnessed it, including the Roman soldiers, and there may have been more, we'll come to that, who placed him there, including the soldiers who placed him there, his death on that cross displayed that he was exactly who he claimed to be. The Son of God. Alright? He is among us. He is among us. Even in his death, he testified to that. Even in his death. And I pray, listen, even in our death, even in our death, that there would be a witness to who Christ is. I'm not trying to get you killed. I'm just saying at whatever point that time comes, that even in that moment, there would be a witness to who Christ is. And in fact, uh, that's what we've been looking at all along, as we've been looking at, is God among us? All along, is he among us? Yes. Yes. And it's always been Jesus. Let me show you some verses quickly. Uh, just some of the topics we've talked about. Is God among us as the word of the Lord? We talked about that a while back. John 1, 1. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. Verse 14 says, same chapter, and the word, the same one, became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Glory as the only what? Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. 
It's him. It's Jesus he's talking about. Luke 24, verse 27, after Jesus' death, burial, resurrection, he appears to some disciples who don't recognize him initially, and he begins to explain who he is without revealing a, a glowing light or anything. He just says in verse 27 that Jesus began with Moses and all the prophets, basically the Old Testament, and he interpreted to them in all the scriptures, look, the things concerning himself. That's telling you that all the word of God is about him. Verse 32, these two, once they realize it's Jesus they've been with uh, and he's gone, they say to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures or the word? He is, Jesus is the word. Is God among us? We talked about in terms of angels and the commander of the angels army in verse uh, Joshua 5. We talked about it. Matthew 26, verse 53. Jesus says, do you think that I cannot appeal to my father and he will at once send more than 12 legions of angels? But how then should the scriptures be fulfilled that I must die? That's what he's saying. Uh, again, commander of angel armies. Uh, we talked about is God among us when we sin. Luke 5 verse 20. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said, man, your sins are forgiven you. Verse 21. And the scribes and the Pharisees began to question him saying, who is this who speaks blasphemies? Look what they say. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Ah, good question. Is God among us as a friend? We talked about that one, John 15, verse 12. This is my commandment, that you love one another. Jesus is talking to his disciples, as I have loved you. Watch. Greater love has no one than this, that someone would lay down his life for his friends. He's talking about what he will do in laying down his life. Verse 14. You are my friends. If you do what I command you, no longer do I call you servants for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I've called you friends for all that I've heard from my father. I have made known to you. We talked about is God among us face to face. Excuse me, John fourteen six. Jesus said to his disciples, I am the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the father except through me. Why? Because verse seven, if you'd known me, you would have known my father also. Look what he says. From now on, you do know him and what have seen him. Jesus is saying, if you've seen me, you have seen the Father. Philip, though, in verse 8, says to him, Oh, Lord, hey, man, show us the Father, and that's enough. Hey, if you want to let us see the Father, then great, then we'll, we'll be good. Verse 9, Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long? And look what he says, You still don't know me, Philip. Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? He's saying, don't you realize that's me? I am him. We are the same. All along, though, Jesus displays he's more than a prophet in his life. He's more than a man. He's more than a spiritual leader. He's more than a rabbi. He's more than just a good person. He's more than just a wise individual. He's more than just someone who walks around with great intelligent sayings. He's been saying it all along and showing it all along in his life. Luke 8, verse 22, a powerful moment that gets uh, missed a lot because we, we preach it about us and not about him. Verse 22, one day Jesus got into a boat with his disciples and he said to them, let's go across to the other side of the lake. So they set out, verse 23, and as they sailed, the water uh, sailed, the, uh, excuse me, he fell asleep. 
And a windstorm came down on the lake, and they were filling uh, with water and were in danger. So they're about to sink in this storm. And they went and they woke him saying, Master, Master, we're perishing. And he awoke and rebuked the wind. Rebuked, that's such a powerful word. Rebuked the wind and raging waves and they ceased and there was calm. One minute is chaos, storm, they're sinking and then boop, calm. And he said to him, where's your faith? And they were terrified. And they marveled, saying, look, look at this, to one another, who, who then is this that he commands, commands, even winds and waves, and they obey him? Man, I love the way Matthew records the story in Matthew eight twenty seven. It says, the men marveled, saying, what sort of man is this that even the winds and sea obey him? What kind of person is this he's not he is creator he is god they obey his voice because he is god the roman soldier at the cross that we read about already we're going to talk about now and these disciples both okay they were professionals in their field the roman soldier was a professional at crucifying people on crosses and the disciples were professionals at the sea. And both of them, being experts in their field, recognized that this person was something else. This person, Jesus, was son of God. So let's look at it outlined this way in Matthew 27. You have the voice of God. Then you have the response of creation. And then you have the voice of confession. Watch how this rolls through. It's pretty cool. So you have the voice of God. Look at verse 50 in chapter 27 of Matthew. Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. I love that it says yielded there. He was sinless. Death had no claim on him. He gave it up. He accepted death on your behalf and on my behalf. Death had no right to him because he himself was sinless. But it says he cried out in a loud voice. Just think about that for a minute. What did it sound like? How loud was it? Yes, he was a man. Yes, he was in pain. Yes, he was suffering. But it was more. And the voice, this voice that yells out, it's made clear. Look in the Matthew account. I'm going to give you the Mark account and the Luke account. Mark 15, verse 37, it says, Jesus uttered a loud cry and breathed his last. Verse 39 says, And when the centurion who stood facing him saw that in this way he breathed his last, he said, truly this man was the son of God. So in the way that he spoke his last words, in the way that his voice came out, that's what convinced him. Luke twenty three forty six. Then Jesus, calling out with a loud voice, said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. So that's what his voice cried out loud. I love that it says loud. And having said this, he breathed his last. Now when the centurion saw what had taken place, he praised God, saying, certainly this man was innocent, was the son of God. So maybe it wasn't his death that caused all this earth shaking and rock splitting and dead rising or whatever. Maybe it was his loud voice. We talked about it already. Isaiah 6, verse 4. 
and the foundations of the thresholds shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. We talked about that. If you go back and look at that, that's actually a seraphim, that an angel that's making the voice, that's shaking everything. So if the angel's doing that, imagine the voice of God crying out. The same voice that spoke creation into existence is calling at the top of his lungs. The same voice that holds the universe together by his breath is crying out. And the response of creation here is wild. Look at verse 51. Behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. Notice that, from top to bottom. That curtain would be divided inside the temple. It divided the holy place from the most holy place where the ark was. And in that most holy place, the uh, high priest could only, only him alone could go back there only one time a year. So you have this huge curtain. We'll come to it, but it, it tears from top to bottom. But the earth shook and rocks were split. The tombs, and that's also implying, by the way, buildings and everything else, okay? The tombs also were opened and many bodies of the saints, not just everybody. It doesn't say everybody, anybody. It wasn't random. This is believers. Saints are not the Catholic sense of saints. These are not the unique superstars. These are just believers that had fallen asleep or were dead. That's common language for that. Were raised. And coming out of the tombs, no, after his resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many. The holy city is Jerusalem. That's the way Matthew would refer to it frequently. So they went into Jerusalem. They appeared to a lot of people. Um, look at the control of God in this moment. The cross affected everything. The cross affected everything. I didn't read it, but in verse 45, it tells you the heavens went dark. The earth shook. The holy place, his temple, is exposed by this thing being ripped, this curtain being ripped open. And you have the confession of a Gentile soldier right along all of these Jewish people. Uh, did the veil split first and then the earthquake? Or did the earthquake cause the split? Some say, well, there was a massive earthquake and it caused the, the temple veil to split. Uh, I believe the earthquake and the dead, the whole thing, is a response to the voice of God and the tearing of the curtain. I believe they happened at the same time. I believe as Jesus cried out at his last, that temple veil split from top to bottom. I think they happened at the same time. And keep in mind, by the way, it's Passover. Keep in mind it's Passover. So remember, that means all Jewish believers would have had to come to Jerusalem for this festival. All, you could you might miss one or two throughout the year, but you don't miss Passover. Everybody who's faithful would be there. Imagine the moment, man. Choirs are singing. There's excitement. There's joy. The people are sacrificing. The gates are all open. And the high priest is going to be taken the Passover lamb into the Holy of Holies. He only gets to do it this one time all year long. It's going to be this exciting moment when he comes out to the people after having offered the blood on the, over the ark to, to, to have the pardon for, uh, the people's sins. And in that very moment, the sun rips through the darkness. The ground shakes so hard that rocks are splitting, walls are cracking, and that veil rips 
separating, the veil that separated the most holy place rips from top to bottom. I don't know if he was standing in front of it or what. Think of the power of the moment. And it came from the top down as though God was ripping it open from the top down. Uh, some say it alludes to the father tearing his garments in sorrow, uh, which was an act of mourning. People did it all the time. They ripped their clothes. The idea of his sorrow over the death of the son to rip his clothes. But either way, this veil was super thick. It was not some simple thing. It was made to keep light out so that that space back there was totally dark and also to make it impossible for anybody to accidentally see behind or move in there. It was as thick as your hand, okay, as thick as your hand and 60 feet long and 30 feet wide, 60 feet by 30 feet and thick as your hand. And it tears in half from top to bottom. Arnold Fruchtenbaum wrote this. He said, as long as the Mosaic law was enforced as the rule of life, only one man of one family, of one clan, of one tribe, of one race, of one nation, only one man out of all humanity had access to the presence of God, and that was the Jewish high priest. And even he had access only one day of the year, the Day of Atonement. However... The tearing of the veil signified that Jesus' death rendered the law inoperative. The law was no longer the rule of life. Therefore, access to God's presence became freely available to all. Hebrews 10, 18 says, Where there is forgiveness of sin, there is no longer any offering for sin. We don't, you don't need to bring an offering because it's been forgiven. It's complete. Verse 19, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that's that veil, that is through his flesh, in his death, he opened that curtain and made it possible for us to come to God. Let that hit you for a minute. Ephesians chapter 2, Hebrews chapter 9, I'm not going into all this, but they talk about Jesus' uh, death and blood tearing down the division, tearing down the walls that divide between God and man, between man and man, between peoples, between Jew and Gentile. And here you have this Roman, Gentile Roman soldier believing in a Jewish Messiah at the very moment of his death. The way to God is now open through Christ Jesus for all for all and the tombs man what's up don't mean to blow over that the tombs open i mean a horror movie much you know what i'm saying (laughs) the tombs open but notice by the way the people didn't rise until after jesus does jesus was to be first in text the 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 bible's very clear on that there jesus was the first to rise to an eternal resurrection 1 Corinthians 15, I'm not going to read it. You can look around 20, 23, 25 in that, in that area. It talks about how he is to be first and then there is to be more after him that rise. And these people that rose, they would have been like Lazarus that Jesus raised or the, the kid that uh, Elijah raised in the Old Testament. They, they would have died again. Um, Jesus, though, talks about us being raised to eternal life and given new bodies, Paul describes. Not going into all that. I'm just making the point. These guys who we're talking about here, they would die again. Isaiah 26, Isaiah wrote anticipating this kind of thing. He said in verse 19, Your dead shall live, their bodies shall rise. You who dwell in the dust, awake and sing for joy, for your dew is a dew of light, and the earth will give birth to the dead. So what's happening here, though? The graves are open, but we know Jesus was dead for three days. So 
graves laid open for three days until after Jesus rose and then they got up. Well, what it is is anticipation, guys. It's three days of anticipation. Imagine these graves just open up all over the place and everybody's like, oh. But nothing happens initially. And you may say, well, they would have covered them back up. No, it was Passover and Sabbath. They're not going to touch dead things they wouldn't be allowed to. So they're not going anywhere near those graves. They'll deal with them when it's over. Not only is this anticipation, but these people, when they do rise, they become the first witnesses of Jesus. Imagine what they were able to tell. Imagine what they were. Imagine what it meant coming from them. You know what I mean? And keep in mind, we don't know how many of these people they were, how long they had been dead up until this point. We don't know. I mean, it may be that it's not like that, you know, if somebody's grandson came back to grandma, it may be that, you know, nobody recognized them. It may have been generations back. Um, other than them saying they had come from the grave and ultimately they would all die again anyway. But the point was that there is a resurrection coming. That was the point. There is a resurrection coming. How long they had been dead, if anyone would have recognized them, we don't know. But the point was, there was a resurrection coming for those who had faith in God. Christ was making that possible. And that's why Matthew lists it here rather than after Jesus' resurrection, because there was an anticipation of the resurrection. Um, The temple veil tore And that was removing separation. And and Matthew wants us to know there's another separation being removed here as well, and that's death. That is equally being removed, the same separation. No other gospel notes this, though, only Matthew. He's the only one that records it. And it may seem strange because we don't have any accounts from back in that day that describe this event happening. So it becomes easy to kind of dismiss But I will say the Talmud, which is a Jewish commentaries on the word of God, a Talmud, there's an interesting account that's recorded there. All right. And a commentator was talking about it. Let me read what he wrote. This is what he's this is the account. He says, Choni, I think that's how you say it. The circle drawer died in the days of the Hasmonean Civil War, some 40 years before the birth of Jesus. Seventy years later. So that would have been 30 years after Jesus' birth, and he died at 30, so that would have been at his death. So this person is saying this guy, Choni, died in the days of the Hasmonean Civil War, some 40 years before the birth of Jesus. And then 70 years later, around the time Jesus died, he awoke and he emerged. He saw a man harvesting the fruit of a carob tree, and he asked him, Are you the man who planted this tree? And the man said to him, I'm his grandson. And Choni said, It's clear that I've been dead or slept. I've been dead for 70 years. He returned to his home and he inquired, is the son of Choni, the circle drawer, still alive? People replied, no, he's no more. But his grandson lives here or lives. And then he went to to the study hall and he found scholars quoting his teachings. But they did not believe that he was Choni. No one believed his story. Finally, he prayed that he would die and he did. Commentator says Choni might have been among the famous holy men who rose on the eve of Passover at the time of Jesus' death. Very few would have accepted the claims of a resurrected holy man in their sojourn back in the body and uh, might have been brief. So he's saying that if there were accounts, 
then they may not have lived long afterwards because nobody would have believed who they were anyway. Um, now that's, that's from Jewish records that have no belief in Jesus. Is it true? Who knows? But it's pretty fascinating. So you have the voice of God. You have the response of creation. And lastly, you have the voice of confession. Look at the confession here. Verse 54. When the centurion, a centurion is a commander of a hundred, a commander of a hundred men in a Roman legion. So this is not just a small individual. This is a big dude in the chain of command here. And those who were with him, not just him, it's those who were with him, the other soldiers with him, keeping watch over Jesus. When they saw the earthquake and what took place, they were filled with awe and said, truly, this was the Son of God. So our focus is on the Roman soldier, centurion, but there's a group that do. Um, the discussion around him being the Son of God has been going on at the foot of the cross already, and this soldier's been hearing it. Back in verse 40, it said in chapter 27 of Matthew, if you are the Son of God, then come down from the cross, Pharisee said. Verse 43, uh, they say, he said that I am the Son of God, so let him save himself, is what they're saying. Verse 54, the centurion says, truly this was the Son of God. It had been a theme here. But what the centurion was confessing is that he was divine. I don't think he truly understood what we mean when we say Son of God. Maybe he did. He's thinking in terms of Roman gods, little g, and that this was the Son of God, maybe. But either way, I believe his confession is genuine. I believe that he really does believe Jesus to be the Son of God. Um, and I believe he truly means what he's saying because the language he says is truly this was. Truly this was. So basically what am I getting at is he's implying that Jesus was telling the truth in his claim to be the Son of God. In other words, he's affirming Jesus was who he claimed to be. That would be faith. And his confession here was joined by others. There's other people that are, that are agreeing with that. Soldiers, perhaps, that are agreeing with that. Maybe his confession was instrumental in theirs. I don't, I don't know. But certainly it meant something, what this guy said, because three gospel writers record it. Not only that, in Luke 23, he goes on and says in verse 47, Now when the centurion saw what had taken place, he praised God, saying, Certainly this man was innocent, verse 48. And all the crowds that had assembled for this spectacle, when they saw what had taken place, returned home beating their breasts. That's a sign of sorrow and repentance. So everyone, a lot of the crowd there was moved by this thing. But Matthew and Mark both record that the centurion confesses that Jesus is the Son of God. Regardless of how clearly he understood what that meant, what it certainly meant was he was defying Rome. He's a Roman soldier, and to make that claim was to defy Roman authority. Caesar was God. He's defying Roman authority. He didn't have to say it out loud. He could have just believed it. He didn't have to say it out loud, but he did. He said it out loud. Why? Because Jesus is the Son of God. That's what gets me about these guys. They didn't have to say it out loud. They could have just believed it in their heart. They didn't have to say it, but it's true. He is the Son of God. And they did say it out loud. John 3.16 has never been so real, guys. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have Eternal life. Let us never focus, listen, let us never focus on God so loved the world so much 
that we forget that he gave his only son. Let me say that again. Let's not get so caught up in God so loved the world that we forget that he gave his only son. It cost. It cost. The cross shows, listen to me, the cross shows how far God would go to save us. All right? And it reminds us how far we are from any hope of saving ourselves. You hear me? The cross shows how far God would go to save us, and it also reminds us how far we are from any hope of saving ourselves. If that's what God himself would go to, being among us, may we preach for God so loved the world. Let's preach that, man. For God so loved the world. Let's preach it. But may we also be a witness to it. May we be a witness to the fact that Jesus is the Son of God. May we be a witness to his cross. Listen to me. Even if it puts us on one, a literal one. May we be a witness to his cross, even if it puts us on one. Even in death, even in our death, may we testify to Christ. Even in our death, May we testify to Christ that such a point that even someone so far from him as a Roman soldier who nailed him there might turn around and say, truly, Jesus is the Son of God. I don't know where you're at today. Maybe all your life you question if life matters, if there's really a point to everything. Okay, I hear all this God talk. God Is God even there? Does he care? Why would he bother? I can tell you with absolute certainty, listen to me, he most definitely is there. He most definitely does care. Why? Because he has been among us from the start of his creation. He didn't create it, spin it, and leave. He's been evolved. He's been here from the beginning. And I can tell you that, I can tell you that he's walked among us. He has spent time with us. He's been involved with us. And then, guys, he died for us. Anybody anybody claiming that? Who died for you lately? He died for you. Has he been among us? Yes. And has he loved us? Yes. And he has also died among us. It's happened. He gave his life for you, man. He gave his life for you to redeem you from the grip of death that comes with sin. That cost his own word says that, that the wages of sin is death. His own word. He's subject to his own word. His words, if he's going to be true, if he's going to be honest, he's got to keep his own word. If the wages of sin is death, then somebody got to pay. But he said, I love you enough that I'll pay. I'll pay to keep my own word true. Listen to me. Your life matters because of that. And you can have an impact on eternity. Think about that a minute. Everybody trying to get their name written in the book of history. The heck with history. I want my name written in eternity. Your name can impact eternity, but only, only if you let him have it. Only if you let him have it. And then what you're going to realize is that you care less whether your name impacts eternity. Because the only name you want people to know is Jesus. Lord, I love you. Thank you so much that you have been among us. Thank you that you are still to this day among us. I pray, Lord, you continue to guide our steps, guide our hearts. 
Lord, give us wisdom as we look at your word. We love you so much. You're such an amazing God. I pray if anybody would today surrender their life to you, Lord, I pray that they might confess that they are, in fact, a sinner without a doubt, that they know they've struggled, but that they might lay their life at your feet and say, Lord Jesus, you can have this life. You can have me. And Jesus, I know you will forgive them because your word says you're faithful and just to forgive. I know, Lord, that you will make them your own because your word says that we are adopted into your family. And, Lord, I know that you will fill them with your Holy Spirit because your word says. And I also know that because you've done it in my life, and I am far from worthy of that. Lord, I pray that if anybody does uh, surrender their life to you tonight, that they would uh, today, tonight, tomorrow, anytime in the next week, I don't care when it is, if somebody does it, Lord, that they would let us know so we can pray with them and guide them towards uh, becoming a disciple who loves and follows you and makes disciples. And I ask these things in Christ's name for your glory. Amen.